0: following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, y'all. How's everybody? Welcome to church. Welcome if you're watching us online as well. What a great service we've had so far this morning. Well, we've sung about faith, we heard about faith in the communion. Anyone want to take a shot what I'm talking about this morning? Acts. No, I'm talking about faith as well. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you're visiting with us, we're ending a series today called Unstoppable, and we've been looking at the first few chapters of Acts. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 8 with your Bible, your device, whatever you happen to be using. Just so you know who I am, my name's Andrew, I've been at Parramatta nearly all my life, my beautiful bride Cheryl, we met here. Uh, I've got three little girls, Rachel and Bella are next door, Alicia's in the service with me, I'm sorry sweetheart, Um, next Sunday she's a teenager, so uh, we're getting old, but uh, yeah, just so thrilled at what God has done down through the years. As we sort of think about this morning I wonder have you ever seen oh by the way my title for this morning is faithful for better or worse for better or worse you might recognize those words as traditional uh, vows in the in the marriage for better for worse richer for poorer the pledge is to be faithful no matter what isn't it that's the idea I wonder if you've ever seen a heat map uh, you know like a map where there's just dots or 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 you know shading and things where there's activity if you've ever worked in sales marketing fundraising you've probably seen these kind of things if we were to do a heat map of the book of acts thus far one through seven it would look like that not particularly exciting as far as heat maps go however by the end of the book of acts the heat map looks more like this the gospel has gone, so by the way, that first map was way in the right corner, and it's gone all the way across the Mediterranean throughout the known world at the time. By the end of the first century, the gospel had reached places like Britain, Germany, Azerbaijan, India. It reached places far flung, and sort of even through to the Sahara in, uh, in Africa. So I guess you might be asking, what's What's changed? what's happened how have we gone from that first heat map that boring heat map so to speak lots of stuff happening good stuff happening but they were stuck in jerusalem how did it change how did we get to this part well we have a bit of a game changer called persecution this morning we're going to talk a bit about that and we're going to talk about the faithfulness of the disciples the faithfulness of God's people. And so there is a ton of things here, and I'm gonna apologize up front, there are probably 10 sermons you could preach out of this chapter. I'm gonna try and cover the big events, and we'll try and get out of here before two o'clock. So let's pray, so let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place, God, and God, help me. Help me to communicate this word to your people. I pray that, Lord, as we see the faithfulness of your believers, Lord God, I pray that it might stir us to have deeper commitment, to have deeper faithfulness in a faithful God. Lord God, we can be faithful because you are faithful to us. And so, God, I pray that we might walk away with, Lord, just a fresh heart for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna do this morning, we're gonna take a couple of readings at a time. So I'm gonna read just the first eight verses. So if you've got your device, your Bible, uh, join with me and it, it should also appear up here. So verse one, Saul approved of their killing him. Now who's the him? The him is Stephen. We looked at that last week. Josh took us through that. Stephen was the first martyr and Saul approved of his death. And it goes on to say that on that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So first of all, we're talking a lot about faithfulness today. I want to just take four observations from this uh, passage, not three, four. Nice. Nice, thank you. So here we go. First of all this, being faithful in the little things. I think if there's something we can glean here, we're going to talk a lot about Philip in particular. This is kind of his chapter. To start with, we would say faithfulness in little things. Now, you might ask the question, what exactly is faithfulness? What are we talking about? We've heard about it. We've sung about it. Faithfulness is an attitude. Faithfulness is a commitment, a loyalty to someone or something, an allegiance, you know what I noticed too, by the way, when we're faithful, we tend to be less self-centered because we're faithful to that person. We're faithful to whatever it is that is driving that passion to be loyal. Jay Hampton Keithley said that it's the fruit of faith. Faith and faithfulness are like the root and the fruit. If we have faith, we will exhibit faithfulness. We will have that kind of loyalty. And of course, if you know your Bible, it's the seventh fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness. Now, this might sound strange to us because it's foreign to our culture. If our culture is anything, it's probably faithless. It's so countercultural. We live in a day, we live in a time that talks about the externals. We live in a time that talks about the effort. We think about effort and achievement, reward. That's kind of the way a lot of us are wired. We, we think about keeping up appearances. What will they think of me? What will they say about me? External signs, and again, self-serving, not serving someone else. This is countercultural because because God, God knows the way we think, but the Bible says that God does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks to the heart. He said that to Samuel when he was looking to choose a king. He saw all these handsome men. No, no, it's the one on the end there, the youngest one. Don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the heart. And Jesus himself said, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. God promises, that's the economy. As we're faithful with the little things, God will give us greater things. That's just the way it works. Now, in this passage, Philip, you might call a textbook example of faithfulness. Because see, we're introduced to him back in chapter 6. Now, as chapter 8 unfolds, Philip clearly has some sort of teaching gift or preaching gift. He's, he's got the crowd. He's able to talk to them. He's able to share Jesus. But we're introduced to him as, as like a deacon. He's not the preacher. He's not got the stage at this point. He's, he's handing out food. You might remember the story. They were arguing over the distribution of food, the, the Hellenists and the Hebraic Jews. And the apostles are like, we need, to, we need to hand this to somebody. And so they get seven men, one of whom was Stephen and another of whom was Philip. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we get a job like that in church and we think, oh, gee, but that's, that's, that's not my ministry. That's not for me. I, I, I don't need to clean or, or, or put church chairs. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to have a, a wider reach. I'm supposed to be talking to people or whatever. We don't see that from Philip. Philip's like, I'm going to be the best administrator I can be. I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to do. We'll look more at the unfolding story through this sermon. But by Acts 21, he's not Philip the deacon anymore. He's Philip the evangelist. In fact, he's got four daughters who prophesy. You talk about legacy. You talk about a guy that is faithful to God and God giving him greater things. Church, God calls us to be faithful with little. And you might ask, how can we be faithful? What's the the way that we can be faithful to God? Well, we've heard about it all morning. Because God himself is good. God himself is faithful. Abby told us, God's in charge. God's the one in control. I find it a lot easier to trust knowing that God has it. I'm not trusting in the ether somewhere. God's in charge. God knows what's going on. When we know that there's a God we can trust, it makes it a lot easier to be faithful. I don't need to trust in myself because I don't have it together, but he does. So faithful in the little things. That's our first observation. Moving on from there. The next one that I see is a church that is faithful in the fire. Because as we, as we talked about in the beginning, the context for all this is there's a persecution that breaks out against the church in this particular part. Persecution becomes the great game changer. You know, I, um, the, the football match the other night, I was watching one of the guys got sent off. Go para. And uh, it changed the game because suddenly the, the opposition was down to 12 men. And it's very hard to win a game when you're a man down, especially when it's a crucial player. This was the game changer. Persecution shifted the game. Suddenly this church, that heat map all in Jerusalem, that all changed. The church could no longer hang around. N- notice that. On the, um, in verse one, on the great day, the persecution broke out in Jerusalem. The, everyone except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. They couldn't hang around anymore. It wasn't safe. They couldn't do it. So they're forced into Judea and Samaria. Now, by the way, does anyone remember what Jesus' words were at the beginning of the book? You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This chapter, by the end of this chapter, we're gonna see at least the beginning of the fulfillment of all of those. All of that happens on the back of the persecution. So let's, let's come back to Philip. Actually, sorry, before we do. Persecution does some funny things. We had the testimony week a couple of weeks ago, and I remember hearing this from one or two. When things get stripped away from us, Things that we lean on, you know, work, um, our identity in maybe as, as a family person or whatever. All kinds of things that we put on our lives as our identity markers. When that's all stripped away, all that's left is God. All that's left is the things of eternity. And I'll tell you, everyone who's been through it says it changes your focus. It changes who you are because suddenly you realize your identity isn't in me anymore. Your identity is in Jesus. And so what's their response? They share him. There's nothing left of this life, we'll share him. There's nothing left of my job or, or my house or whatever, well, I'll share Jesus with whoever because I have this hope for eternity and I want others to know as well. So let's cut back to Philip. He's unable to fulfill that role as a deacon. He's on the run now and all the believers have been scattered. So what's his response? Well, I'm gonna take up the torch. I'm gonna share my faith. I'm gonna share Jesus with the people where I am. He, and again, he seems to have had this teaching and, and preaching gift. Do you know, it's been well said that persecution does to the gospel what wind does to seed. I'm not a green thumb, but I remember my backyard was looking like a cricket pitch some time ago because we get no sun, it's just, it doesn't get a lot of sunlight out there. So I threw some seed out and I thought, this is going to do nothing. Three weeks later, green shoots all over the place. I'm not a green thumb, I'll tell you that right now. But it worked. The, the seed went where it had to and it sprung. Church, the power is in the seed of the gospel. We don't need to worry about whether we've got the ability to do this or that. It's in the gospel. The gospel changes hearts. You know, Acts 1.8, like I just quoted before, so often Acts 1.8 needs Acts 8.1 to be fulfilled. We love the idea of being witnesses for Jesus, but sometimes we won't actually get out there and do it until we're under threat, until the persecution comes, until we see that there is a reason. We see there is a reason to, to tell people beyond what's in this life. There's something far greater. I, when I look at the persecution and the result, I just think of what God, uh, Joseph said. You meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. God turned it for his good. And do you know, in China, uh, at the turn of the uh, communist revolution, it's estimated there are about fifty thousand Christians in the country of China. I mean, even back then, it was about half a billion people or something. I don't know the exact figure. And the communists didn't like this. The communists, in, you know, in Soviet Russia, were already suppressing the church. And this philosophy comes into China, and they say you can't gather, you can't meet together anymore, and they scatter the believers. Well. You fast forward to today it's estimated there are over 100 million Christians in China. Would you say persecution's been effective for God? yeah, I think it's been effective for the gospel. The seed was scattered by the persecution, and the we're still reaping the fruit of it today in that China in that nation It's amazing. but you say, Andrew, that's China. I mean what are we going to face in Australia like seriously well let me just put it to you like this. We saw two situations this week. You may not have caught them both. The first is um, the, the parliament has sat again for the first time. And I was looking this morning. Do you know that the, uh, the new government have said, we will keep the Lord's Prayer in parliament? Now, what's wrong with that statement? Somebody's complaining about the Lord's Prayer. They want the Lord's Prayer to be abolished from our parliament. Never mind we'll find it on on Judeo-Christian, you know, philosophy and ethics and whatever. No, let's get rid of the Lord's Prayer. It's going to come more and more under attack, believe you me. The second situation, and I'm sorry to bring football into this again, but uh, you might have caught the news about manly. Now, let me say this with all love and respect and compassion. If you wear manly colors, you've got problems. But what happened was Manly wore a pride jersey honoring the LGBT community. And you might've heard the news, seven of the players said, we're not comfortable wearing this. We're gonna, we're gonna stand down. Now, irrespective of where you stand on any of those issues, my point is this, you can't just not take a position anymore. And if you're going to stand for Christ, there will be consequences. We haven't heard the end of that debate. That's, just, that's only gonna get worse. It's only gonna get more and more uh, bitter and bigoted, etc. See, church, we might not lose our lives in this country. We might not be facing that kind of persecution, but you might be facing being cancelled. You might face being blacklisted because of Jesus. And so the question we need to ask ourselves, are we going to be faithful in a pluralistic age? Are we going to be faithful against a culture that is increasingly hostile to the gospel? We, we look at countries overseas and think, oh, we're not dying for it. Well, Our witness is dying if we don't stand up for Jesus in these days. What are we going to do? How are we going to face it? Faithful, faithful in the fire. That's our second observation. From there, I see the story turns, faithful in witness. Philip and the disciples, we see them faithful to the gospel. I'll just quickly read verse five through to eight again. Philip went down... Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, many who were paralyzed were healed. There was great joy in that city. Philip proclaimed the Messiah in Samaria. Now, very quick, very quickly, Samaria was a half breed people, and they were hated by both sides. They were half Jewish and half Assyrian. Nobody liked them. You know who else didn't like them, by the way? John. God's got a sense of humor because John eventually comes to pray with the Samaritan believers. But John, if you remember the story back in uh, Luke, he says to Jesus, when Jesus gets rejected, hey, Jesus, can we call fire down now? Can we just destroy them now? And God, a few years later, is like, you're going to pray with them. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, God. All right. This is Samaria, not liked by the Jews at all. And yet God comes in power. You know, when we read there, Philip preached, he proclaimed the Messiah. Seven times in this chapter, we hear the word gospel and preaching and sharing. Luke is, if Luke's passionate about one thing, he's saying, guys, these guys preached. They shared the word. This was how this church grew. They were faithfully proclaiming. And he uses two words there, which again appear a lot in Acts, the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. When these were preached, when these were heard, the story of the good news, when we see the Samaritans see that they have someone who has died for them, someone who has carried the cross they could not bear. What's the end result? There was great joy in that city. Despite the persecution, despite the opposition, despite what was going on, the worst that the enemy could throw at them, there was great joy because they saw something beyond the here and now. They saw that there was someone who loved their souls enough to die. Church, you had great joy at one point when you heard the gospel for the first time. Am I right? Wasn't that you? The gospel changes lives. The gospel cannot help but change lives. I've shared this before. I'm gonna share it again. The gospel, we've gotta keep coming back to it. It's like a precious jewel. Great joy always follows. It follows the preaching. When you share your faith, you get joy. When you're reminded of what Jesus did, you should be having that joy. It doesn't just change your life at salvation. It continues to change us. It continues to be our joy. Because someone was faithful in witness and we continue to be faithful going back to the gospel. We experience that joy joy now church it would be remiss of me i need to obviously talk about the miraculous for a second there are signs there are wonders there are miracles happening things are going off the tree in this church this is revival this is incredible but we need to notice something with the movement of the holy spirit the signs and the wonders are just that they are signs they point somewhere else I don't know if you've ever noticed, but down the bottom of Barney Street, there's a sign that says Barney Street, and there's a little sign that says Parramatta Christian Church. I I guarantee half of you probably never seen it, but have a look when we leave. Now, is Parramatta Christian Church down the street corner? It's not. What about this big white sign out here, Parramatta Christian Church? Is that the church? No, it's telling people to come in, and they will find a home in the city. The sign has no glory of its own it points to something greater. The miracles, the signs and the wonders, they they, they catch the eye that we're listening, we're hearing, we're seeing, but, but they're meant to point us to Jesus. Church, the power of the Holy Spirit always serves the purpose of the Holy Spirit and that's to bring people to the cross. That's to bring people to Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit moves in such a way. Not just to give us tickles on the back of our neck, It's awesome, it's fun, it's great, don't get me wrong. But he's pointing us to Christ. He's always in the business of leading people to Jesus. And there's always a danger that when the signs are seen as an end to themselves, I'm just old enough to remember some of the revivals in the 90s and all the different things that were going on then. I'm led to believe a lot of that was godly. I'm not here to poo-poo on that. But the problem is, a lot of people got caught up in the miraculous. A lot of people got caught up without the context of the gospel. They always must be seen as an aid to the gospel, not the gospel. The signs are not the main thing. They're pointing us to Jesus. Now, real quick, and again, this is why I'm saying I can't touch on everything. There's two things I need to just jump on really quick. Uh, It would be terrible if I missed these. Firstly, we hear, a guy, we hear of a guy called Simon, the sorcerer. He's famous in history. He had a statue in Rome, I'm, I'm led to believe. He had real power, although that power was not from Jesus, clearly. That power was occultic. And you'll notice that the signs were all about glorifying himself. Because people were walking around and saying, in verse 10, it says, this man is rightly called the great power of God. These are not signs pointing to the gospel, these are signs glorifying an imposter. So Simon, he's, yeah, you could say a lot about him, but he, he, the signs were glorifying him. The second thing is, and, and this is why we've got to be careful about doctrine in these early parts of Acts. You might notice that the Holy Spirit doesn't come just yet upon the believers. But when the um, apostles back in Jerusalem hear what's going on, they send for Peter and for John, <coughs> excuse me, they send for Peter and for John. Why is that? Why couldn't Philip have prayed over them and they received the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's got to do with this. The Jews and the the, the Jewish Christians, they received the Holy Spirit through the apostles. But none of the apostles are here. We read in verse one, the apostles are back in Jerusalem and these like secondary and tertiary leaders are out there preaching for Jesus. And given the you know, the tension between the Samaritans and so forth. If there's any way that the Samaritan church can look inferior to the original church, that's a win for the devil. And so God in his wisdom sends Peter and John from the original crew, the OGs, he sends the original guys to come out and pray and they receive the Holy Spirit. It's about unity across the church. There's no Jewish church, there's no Samaritan church, there's no Australian church, there's no African church, there's one church. And so God was in the business of unifying his people. So very quickly, it was just worth touching on that. Let's continue on. The last observation I see is that not only faithful in witness, not only faithful in the little things or in the persecution, but a church that's faithful to obey. A church that is faithful in its obedience. We're going to jump back into the reading, we're gonna read a few verses from verse 26. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll get you to whip them out. And again, it should appear up here. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake. And that means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in this chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit of the Lord told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So, where have we been? Philip has been in, you know, at the front and center of this revival in Samaria. And suddenly the Holy Spirit says, Philip, go out to the desert, go out to Gaza. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something within me that we tend to say, now, Lord, just have a second. I'm, I'm the revival guy. I, I'm the one that was, you know, in charge of this amazing, you know, preaching and, and signs and wonders. Are you sure you want me to go to the desert? Hundreds of people came to you, God. Why would you send me in the middle of nowhere? But remember, Philip's not that kind of guy. Philip's already proven his faithfulness. He doesn't protest. He doesn't say, that's not my job description, God. I'll go, I'll go. And so he heads out to the desert. Church, if there's any lesson that we can learn from this, faithfulness must be accompanied by obedience. If faithfulness is the heart, obedience is the fruit. We read in James, don't we, that faith without deeds is dead. Obedience, works, they don't save us. They are the evidence that God is doing something in us. When we hear the heart of God and we put actions to our faithfulness, that's what we're talking about. Because church, the honest truth is we may never know who we're being led to. We may never know who God is calling on the other side to be obedient that we need to minister to. I've heard it said that in the the 40s and 50s, there was a young man who was searching for God and an unknown pastor was told to approach him and to speak to him and he shared the counsel of God and that young man got saved and he responded by holding crusades all around the world. You might have heard of him. His name's Billy Graham. Someone dared to reach out to him. Someone heard the voice of God and at the same time, God was working on Billy Graham's heart on the other end. And that's the kind of thing that we see here. Who is this guy? Who's the Ethiopian? He was a noble figure. He was a wealthy man. He was in charge of the treasury of the queen, right? One reason we know he's wealthy or or, or a figurehead is because he's got the scriptures. It's pretty easy for us to have a Bible these days, but back then the scriptures were very guarded. There weren't that many of them floating around. So he's got the book of Isaiah with him. He's reading. And we read that Philip, he, he, he talks about Isaiah 53, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, the one who carried the iniquity of us all, the one who was led like a sheep, a lamb to the slaughter and was silent in the hour of trial. And Philip from that very passage opens up the scriptures. Church, that's a clue for us. When we're sharing, we can answer people right where they're, if we know enough and if we hear the Spirit, we answer people right where their question is and we go in and take, us back, take them back to the gospel. Now, how interesting it is that this guy had Isaiah with him. Now, I don't know if you know anything about eunuchs, but they were not allowed to go into the temple court. It's said there in Deuteronomy. But in the book of Isaiah, something really interesting in chapter 56, just a couple of chapters up. This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. That's obedience language. That's, you know, obeying what God wants you to do. What does God say? To them, I will give within my temple and its walls. I thought the eunuchs couldn't get in. What's God saying? He's saying there's a day coming when his presence will be available for everyone. A memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And by virtue of this encounter, by virtue of this man's faith, his meeting with Philip, we know his name forever now. Do you know by tradition, this is the guy who they believe founded the African church. He was the first African convert, as it were. The Coptics to this very day say, this is where the church began. This man fulfills Isaiah 56 you see that? In his obedience, in him hearing the voice of God, God says, you can be in my presence now. You can come to the cross now. Philip's obedience connects him with a man who God's already working on. Church, you will never know who God is working on that he wants you to speak to. Church, as I, I wrap this up, I wanna share a story with you. A number of years ago, about 20, feeling very old, about 20 years ago, I used to lead worship at Youth. And one night, uh, one of the guys at Youth, he brought his mate in. And he wasn't a Christian. He actually came from a really strict, non-Christian home. His parents had, were very, very unsure of this. But they were allowing him to come in for a little while. But he came back again and again. Eventually, he was led to Christ. He was brought to Jesus. And... Um, I have never seen somebody so radical for Jesus. And I got introduced to him. His name was Vish. And he said, he he, he, he approached me. He was approaching his year 12 graduation. And he says, we want to sing a song at our graduation. i cool, green day, time of your life. What what do you want to do? And he says, no, no, you play for us. Delirious, I've searched for gold. And if you've never heard the song, it says, I've searched for gold. I've longed for silver. I've climbed the mountain for one glimpse of the jewel. But... I won't be satisfied until I find what I've come for. That was his journey. I won't be satisfied until I meet with you. He had met Jesus. The story goes on from there. He approached me one Sunday. He started to come to church and he says, Andrew, I wanna do something. Can I clean the church? Can I do a letterbox drop? Can I do something? And I said, I'm I'm not the pastor, but hey, I'll do something in youth. We'll, we'll, We'll work something out. He joined the worship team. He started getting into schools, ministry, And then one day, one of the saddest days of my life, he got called to be a youth pastor somewhere else. But you see, faithful in the little things, faithful in small beginnings, faithful to witness, obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. This guy embodied that. He still embodies it. He's one of my best mates. He's an incredible man of God. And see, church, you might say, it can't happen to me. You think it can't happen to you. Well, church, We've heard about it all service, trusting in a capable God. God's not asking you to do what's beyond you. If, if Vish had, God had said to Vish, you'll be a youth pastor when he was 19. He's like, you gotta be kidding. That That's not gonna happen. Have you seen my family, God? But God takes us one step at a time. God takes us and lets us, be, you don't climb Everest. You start with the hills. You start with the bigger hills. That's the way God leads you and me. God doesn't need us. We don't need to see the end. We just need to see one step in front and trust that God is in charge. And so church, as we wind this up, I've got a couple of questions to ask. Are we being faithful now in the little things God has called us to? Are we sort of frustrated that we're not getting promoted, whatever that means, not realizing that God just wants us to be faithful here and now? whether that's in church, whether that's in work, your family situation, because there are too many of us in this room that know this to be true. God gives greater things. God rewards for our faithfulness. Secondly, are we willing to be faithful? I'll ask it again, in a hostile culture. Are we willing to stand on truth when no one wants to hear truth? Do you know when you say Jesus is truth, that's an anathema to this world. They're happy for you to have your faith. Just don't bring Jesus into it. Don't bring the the, the one true God into it. Don't tell me about that. Will we be faithful? And then lastly, the Spirit is speaking to us constantly. Will we be bold and step forward and obey His leading? Will we obey the leading of the Holy Spirit? He wants to connect us with people all the time. Will we listen? Will we hear? Church, why don't we pray as we meditate on these thoughts, as we meditate on these these questions. Father, this morning, we thank you for this amazing example in your word, Lord. Lord, today as we close out this series, God, I pray that Lord, this might be a turning point for some of us. Lord, that we realize that you haven't called us to be pursuing the things of this earth, Lord God, to to, to further your name. Lord, you have the name above all names. You don't need a greater name. You just need faithfulness from your people. Lord, I pray that we as your people would not despise the day of small beginnings. We as your people, Lord God, would be willing to go, no matter the cost, to be faithful for better or for worse, Lord God, because at the end of the day, it's gonna be better when we're with you anyway. But whatever we face in this life, Lord, I pray we would be like Philip, bold, faithful, unwavering, trusting in you. Lord God, I pray that this might be a season for us as a church where we, We just draw near to you, Lord, because there's nothing left outside, Lord God. Our culture is getting harder and harder against you. But Lord, that just means you can shine brighter in the darkness. That just means that you can shine more in our lives. So Father, I pray that you would encourage us to have faith in a God who had enough faith and was faithful enough to us, Lord God. You gave it all, Lord. You've already done the hard work. So, God, we just pray we would step into that communion with you. Walk with you, Lord. I pray your blessing on your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.